You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Mom Halo Podcast. I'm your host, Alana K. Fitz, and I'm very excited to have a new friend in audience with us today. Everyone, welcome Brittany Donovan. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you, Brittany. And I met you through some mutual friends, um, through sort of the mommy creator community, but we met because we had you on stage at MopFest. So uh, why don't you just tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what brings you to the podcast today? Uh, My name is Brittany Donovan. I live in Caledonia, Ontario, a nice small town up here just outside of Hamilton. I'm a mom to a beautiful three-year-old boy who unfortunately does have laryngomalacia and asthma and some complexity as well, let alone me. I live with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. I have mast cell activation syndrome. I have some blood disorders as well, Raynaud's disease, POTS, which is posterior orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and a whole complexity of others that all link together, which sometimes makes it hard when trying to mother a three-year-old boy with complexities of his own. So walk us through this, Brittany. So you just listed a few different conditions that you (laughs) yourself have and your kid has. So first of all, are these, take us through your story. When were you diagnosed? Were these things you were born with? Is this conditions or syndromes that you discovered later in life? How do they manifest? Just walk us through a little bit about your daily grind. So when I was born, my dad always says that he knew right away something was wrong. He just said the way you came out, my mom had a C-section. He goes, but the way you just came out, you were laying there. He said you were like almost albino white. You were just, we knew something was wrong, but the doctors just said, oh no, she's probably anemic, probably just this. It's okay. But even as growing up, my parents started to notice issues where I was dislocating all the time and they kept chalking it up to, well, no, she's a little kid. She probably just has looser joints than other people, but someone could high five me or even just pick me up just the wrong way with my arm and my arm would be out of the socket. So we were always at the hospital getting it put back in. And also growing up, we, I would always say to my parents, like my heart hurts, stuff like this hurts. And they would go take me to the doctor and that, but they had no idea. They just thought, oh, maybe someone's hurting her feelings. That's why she's saying her heart hurts or this hurts. And then we just kept living with it when stuff would happen. We would go to the hospital, but we never got an answer until I was about 17 and got really sick and my arm dislocated and would not go back in the socket. So we went to the hospital And all the doctors were baffled there and just like, I don't understand why this is happening and why you're not screaming in pain and what's going on here. So the surgeon at the time did a surgery and he said when he went in there, he's never seen anything like this before. He was like cutting into you, was like 
cutting through butter. He was like, nothing was connected. It just, that's not how your body's supposed to be. So that sort of started us on our journey of trying to find out what was wrong. And unfortunately we couldn't find out here. So my parents took me to the Mayo Clinic in the States after years of trying to figure it out here. And then within a week there, I was diagnosed with all this stuff and started to get a bit better. And then went downhill again after I had one of my hip surgeries and they started, they always noticed I was a tippy toe walker and I just, that's how I walked. And they started making me walk flat down properly, like how you're supposed to walk. And that pulled something in my back and I ended up having a tethered core as well. And then we discovered a Chiari and my, I had cervical instabilities. So Again, we couldn't get surgery here. So we had to go down to Lanham, Maryland with Dr. Henderson and have a couple surgeries down there until I'm slowly getting on the right path in that and just following up with doctors. But it's something that there's no cure for and that I unfortunately have to live with every day. Jesus Christ, Brittany. I just cannot (laughs) even imagine. So walk us through that day when you... I couldn't imagine, first of all, your parents have no genetic um, issues? No. So they said that I must have gotten a defective gene from both parents and I mutated it myself. Got it. So it's interesting to me because I don't get to talk to a lot of people who had childhood rare genetic diseases that now are living with their condition. So walk us through that situation. You're at Mayo Clinic and you're like, they're like, okay, well, you know, well, there's definitely something up and like, here's your diagnosis. What was that diagnosis like for you personally? What was that like for you? Honestly, I was so thankful because here it was, maybe it's Marfins, maybe it's this. Oh no, we just think it's all in your head. Oh, maybe your mom has Munchausen's and she's making you sick, which is what a lot of the Ehlers community had here. People thought it was our parents making us sick or it was all in our heads and we were doing this for attention. So when we got to the Mayo Clinic, And I remember my best friend, Patricia, came with me for support in that. And she was just like, the look on your face when they finally told you, you were just relieved. Like, I was like, I finally have a diagnosis. I was starting to believe that, oh my gosh, am I doing this to myself? Am I causing my parents pain? And I'm making myself sick, thinking there's something wrong with me when some of these doctors are saying nothing's wrong. It's just in your head. And then to find out within a week, no, like, look, here are the tests. Here is everything that's wrong with you. Like you've seen it in your surgeries. You can see it with your joints and how they move and having it all laid out for me. I was thankful, but then at the same time, you're just knowing that there is no cure for this. And unfortunately you're going to have to live your life having surgeries and live your life in pain, which is something I think that was harder to grasp because I even say that to my husband now it's hard waking up being only 33 and realizing I can't remember a day I woke up and something wasn't dislocated or I wasn't in pain god what a crazy and that's a connective tissue disorder the one you're discussing yes Mm -hmm. so your connective tissue disorder manifests in pain and you have Mm -hmm. also your blood condition correct Yes, it's like sticky blood. I, it doesn't coagulate properly. And then I had severe um, iron deficiency anemia where I was getting every week having to get infusions put in because the iron just wouldn't stay in my body. God. So Brittany, let's talk about um, you deciding to, you had a family and you and you find that your, your kiddo has a condition. Tell us about, tell us how you came to his condition and what, how it manifests. 
I didn't notice it at first. I when well, and because he was only a year old before we were going into COVID in that, and that's when things actually started to more happen with him. Right when COVID was happening, we went in with our first bout where he wasn't breathing properly. His airway just didn't sound right at first. They were like, maybe this is croup, but the way he was breathing, you could see like his whole throat getting sucked in. And then my friends again started to comment, oh, don't you notice like when he laughs, like the strider sound he makes, like he makes like a, like he can't breathe type of sound. So I started to notice it more and more. And then when we had our second round in the hospital, again, when he wasn't breathing like this, the doctor said, I think he has this laryngomalacia, which would explain a lot because when he was a baby and you were feeding him, he had acid reflux all the time. He was vomiting like that. He always had the strider sound. It was harder for him. He never latched and stuff like that as well. So they did the scoper. You had to hold him, unfortunately, and he's awake and they go up through the nose and down and the doctor noticed right away, like the way he was sucking in. She goes, yeah, he has laryngomalacia. So it makes it harder for him when he's sick and that his airway can collapse really easily. And then on the third visit into the hospital, the doctor wanted to do an x-ray because he is like, we usually don't diagnose asthma in kids under six, but he was like, you can hear in his lungs that something isn't right. And they did an x-ray and our allergist and immunologist right away was like, he has asthma. You can tell with the lining of his lungs, the way he's breathing. And that sort of started us on our journey with him. (laughs) God, I know somebody else um, with, uh, with, uh, with that, the airway condition. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, terrifying especially when they're little and they're sick so crazy so tell us about the process of what it's like for you as a sick mom I can imagine myself like being myself having complexities and then like you have you have a lot of complexities you're not (laughs) you're not without your your complexities and then also having a kiddo with complexities tell me some of the things that you sort of think about on a daily basis what what pervades your your thoughts Well, fortunately for my son, he always has the perfect timing of when I've had surgery. And it's like, usually within a couple days, it's like, boom, something with him happened. So we had it, I had to go in for an emergency hysterectomy. And two days later, my husband was like, Oh, can he have a cashew? And I was like, sure. Like he's had the allergy testing. It was all negative in that. And sure enough, he licked a cashew and he went into anaphylaxis. And I'm not even two days out of surgery. So we have to rush to the hospital, get there. My stitches had all opened and just trying to be that. And because I'm more in the medical world, my husband looks to me to be like the voice of reason, keep it calm and keep it going. So I always have to just try to make sure I'm there. I try to explain as much as I can to him. But for him, I think it's harder where I can separate the emotional side of it when I need to in the moment to keep everything going and keep my son going and make sure he's not scared in that. But he always has the perfect timings for that. Or we think about now with starting school, it's hard because when he gets croup or cold, as soon as he says to us, it's hard to breathe. I know we have less than 30 minutes to get to that hospital or his airway is gone. And it just happened a couple of weeks ago again. And he started to say it hurt to breathe. And then I looked up McMaster wait times and sure enough, it was five hours. I knew for us, by the time we got there, it wouldn't be. 
but I knew we wouldn't make it in time. And they started saying to us, you need to start calling an ambulance because by the time he gets here, his airway's gone and it's harder to get back. So that's what I had to do. I had to call an ambulance. And by the time the ambulance got here, I said, this is what usually happens. And they were like, yeah, no worries. Go get your purse. We'll get everything ready. And by the time I grabbed my purse and went back, his airway had already went. So I couldn't even get on the ambulance until they were getting the epi mask and everything ready for him. My God. Well, it keeps it interesting. I have to try to, I always have to try to stay calm. Cause I always say to my husband, when you panic in the moment, he panics and that makes it harder for his airway. So I say, I know it's the scariest situation to be in, but you just have to look at him and keep yourself calm because then he stays calm. And that's what the paramedics said the last time. They said, because you stayed calm, we were able to get that epi mask on him and get his airway open a lot quicker than what we have been able to do in the past because you have to try to stay calm. And who's your primary, and and you're primarily in Hamilton. Is that your, where you go? Yeah, well, I I will. We're up in Caledonia, so the closest one would be Hagersville, but I just get to McMaster because that's where I was based out of, and I'm was I used to work with St. Joe's as well, and then I just know all the doctors there now. The nurses and that know us when they come in; they know the situation gets more serious, and we're usually in within like 20 minutes. As soon as we're registered, they're getting us into a private room. Yeah, so. One of the things I always wonder as a parent with complexities and things like this is like when you're making life decisions, like where you're going to live, do you, do you think about those sorts of things? Like, didn't, did you want to be a strong stone's throw away from your, from your hospitals or or like what, what was the decisions made there? I'm just curious. So my husband had this house here in Caledonia. And when I moved in with him, I worked at a St. Joe's, which was actually only a 20 minute drive. And it's the same to McMaster. It takes maybe 20 25 minutes to get there. But I always said to my husband, that is the furthest I would ever be away. Because even for myself, I know like the past in April when I had surgery and then unfortunately had a stroke and had to get to the hospital, my mom was like, okay, like these are the hospitals we know we have to get to. And we know within the system in that, but we know we can't live further out. Like I could never move further into the country And I, for myself, I would never move like further out of Hamilton city because this has been mostly where I'm based off of and where my doctors are. I said, wow, sorry. Wow. What an amazing situation. So tell me about your mental health, Brittany, like, or your mental state. Like, how do you do it? Like, how do you actually do it? Because I'm somebody who deals with complexities where my son is complex. I have three kids. And, you know, it presents a host of challenges. And we also have that medical fragility that I'm dealing with. So I feel you in every possible way. And, you know, us medical mamas with really complex kiddos need to stick together. But you yourself having so much surgery need. And I remember you talking about the story that I'm going to ask you to reshare about in a minute. Um, How do do you cope? Like, what do you do, Brittany Donovan, to get through the day to, like, just make it work? I honestly have one of the best support systems I think anybody has ever had because even with my mom, my mom and I, when we started and like my dad as well, but there's something with like a mom and a daughter bond. When I was getting sick, like she was there for everything. She, there was many times where I would just wanted to give up. And even when I needed surgery in the States and I'm like, don't pay for it because my parents had to pay out of pocket for it. And 
I had to refinance and do all this to get the money to make sure I could walk again and do this. And there was times I was like, just don't do it. Just, just let me die. Like, it'll be so much better for you guys if you just let me die and let me go. But my mom never, if I was having a bad day or a bad pain day or up all night, she would sit up all night with me. Or she would be like, you know what? Okay, today's going to be a bad pain day. Let's cry it out. Let's watch our sad movies. Let's do this. But tomorrow has to be a better day. Tomorrow, you have to be positive. You have to think of things you're grateful for and thankful for and keep going. And same with the support system of friends that I surround myself with. My friends have been there with me. Well, Beth has been there with me since like we were four years old, but my friends, Kayla and Patricia and Megan and all of them have been there since the beginning and have never left my side and always made it available for me or for my son and anybody in my family to always help out or be a shoulder to cry on anything. Wow. So I think that helps me the most. How does your, how does the condition present for your son? Uh, for him, I was always worried at the beginning because there is a genetic component with me. So then when I heard laryngomalacia with him, I was worried because for me, it can be bronchial malaysia and stuff like that with my air race. So the first thing I always went to as a doctor's was like, oh my God, does, does he have ailers? Is he presenting with signs? Is this something we need to watch for in that? And thankfully, as of now, he has presented with no signs other than this laryngomalacia, which they think is just a completely different and separate thing. But for him, we always have to watch again with like, we had a parent-teacher conference last week and they stated that they started to notice with like gym class or if he was coming inside from recess, he started to get more lethargic and have a harder time. So that's something they started talking about. Maybe we should cut back on gym class for him and he can only do it the once a week or he instead of the two recesses, he can do the one recess in that, and then we can see how he goes and progresses further and hopefully be able to make it for both. But that's something we always have to watch or extracurriculars. The doctors don't think right now with the way his asthma is, and if he has outgrown or could outgrow the laryngomalacia, if doing extracurriculars where he's running around and exerting himself is something that he might not be able to do. Yeah. Henry's the same. We we expect that for many of his issues, including his pulmonary hypertension, that we he won't be able to do any sports. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm really okay if he sits at home and watches Nintendo all day, if that's going to be, just, you know, yeah. that's, I'm okay with that. So um, mm-hmm. there, for our parents who are listening or family and friends who are listening right now, what's one thing you want folks with kids who don't have any medical complexities to understand? What's one thing we really want people to know? Just that they're still kids and they still want to be asked to participate, even if they have to do it differently. Like my my two best friends, Kayla and Patricia, they have kids. Like Patricia has kids, like we all have kids with the same ages in their groups. So for Patricia's daughter, the Gabriella, that is Landon's age. Even if Landon is having a harder time, she will sit with him or let's do this instead. Let's color or let's do this. Like I find they, and maybe because they've grown up with him and know that he can't be running around all the time, or sometimes he has to sit down or he gets the chronic cough in that. They're just, I find more sensitive with it and like, let's do this instead. And that's okay. And 
it's okay to move like that. But I know at school, he does have a harder time because the boys want to rough house and do this and be a little bit more energetic and he can't do that. And a couple of the boys at school are, the teacher has said, have been more understanding, like, oh, that's okay. Like, let's do this now. So you're not coughing and having a harder time like that. But I think just trying to, especially when kids are starting school, trying to explain like all kids are different and it's okay if kids can't keep up and can't do this. It doesn't mean something's wrong and stuff like that with them. We can all just do things a little differently. Yeah. I love that. And I think you have a specifically um, special um, story and I really appreciate the fact that you um, are sharing it with us today because you are, you're both a mom with a complexity yourself and have a kiddo with complexity. So if there's anything specific you want people to hear today, if they hear nothing else, what do you want people to remember about your story? It's hard to think of that one. We start, we came together with this foundation that this amazing girl, Brooklyn Mills helped get started. And back when I was first getting diagnosed, there was like nobody with this condition. You never heard of anybody until I met this Brooklyn Mills. And then there was a group of us together. This foundation was started. And even though they feel sometimes we haven't gotten anywhere with getting help in Canada, especially with this disease, it has brought a group of people together that understand your disease. They understand the pain you're in. And living with this disease, living with the complexities, sometimes having doctors going to doctor's appointments and they're just like, I don't know how to help you. I've never heard of this. Like this is out of my reach, out of my norm and that. And this foundation really helped bring people together, which was such an amazing thing. And especially for such a rare disease that really wasn't heard of back when we were all getting diagnosed in that. And I think just trying to make sure like, especially for the ILC Foundation. Unfortunately, two years ago, Brooklyn passed away. And I just, for me, I always want to make sure that her story stays known and that she was the one that got all of these people help and brought a community of people together where when we were having surgery in the States, even our parents had a community of people together. They had other parents that they could talk to, that they could relate to with stuff like this. So. I always want to make sure, especially her story stays known and how many people she really did help myself included. And that just keeping it out, talking out there, especially parents with kids with medical needs, it's nice to be able to talk to other parents who understand in that, especially with kiddos going to school. And, and I get it for some parents, it's so hard. They can't take time off work or this. So they think, oh yeah, I can just send my kid. They're, they're getting over the flu or cold, but they should be fine now. They had their fever yesterday and only been gone for a couple of hours with Advil and that. But when they do that, my kid ends up in the hospital and starting to fight for his life and can be touch and go and like that. So I think raising more awareness on that as well. And like what it can do to the hospital system, especially. Yeah. I mean, right now it's so topical, right? Between no, mm-hmm. no, no room in, in hospitals right now, um, post COVID we're recording this right now in November. Um, mm-hmm. and the topic of conversation everywhere is that they want to institute masks again, not for COVID, but strongly mandated yeah. so folks can protect, um, 
just the strain on the actual medical system right now. And between the Tylenol, Advil and antibiotic shortage, it's a really fucked up time to try to manage all of this, especially when our kiddos like you and me are so complex. So um, Brittany, thank you so much for sharing all of these stories. I so great to meet you and I can't wait to to highlight your story and continue to share about your very unique um, circumstance. And I appreciate these life lessons and you celebrating those folks. And let's also just pay homage to somebody like your parents, right? Who advocated so hard for you and fought so hard for you, um, you know, and to have that sort of multi-generational understanding of what it's like to raise kids with needs is like very unique, I think. So I think your story is definitely something if you haven't (laughs) considered writing it, that's a story I think for the books for sure. Um, and if somebody wants to find you, Brittany, are you on Instagram or social media? Do you have a presence? What's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's Brittany two, eight, four. Yeah. Just nice and simple and easy. Right. I know you're not like a creator or you're not like a professional in this industry. You're just a regular mom trying to get through it. So that's why I think it's so extraordinary, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Yes. Thank you. Your son, nothing but just good health and, Literally just, you know, if, yeah. you, if your kid is, if your kid is sick, keep them at home because we want to be yep. able to our kids out of sick kids. Right. So exactly. All right, Brittany. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the mom Halo podcast, I'd love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social or leaving a really good rating and review to catch all the latest from me. You can follow me on Instagram at the mom Halo. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time.